So I, um, I want to talk about this story uh, here in Genesis chapter 18. And this story, as I was reading it earlier this week, it just opened up to me in a different way. And something struck me that had never struck me about this story before. I've preached on this text uh, in years past, and I've focused on um, the, the, um, the theophany that's here. Theophany is a word that means revelation of God. Um, this is a interaction that Abraham has with the Holy Trinity, uh, the three men that appear to Abraham as he's sitting there in the door of his tent in the heat of the day. Uh, though those three men, they represent the Holy Trinity. It says in the Bible that the Lord, that God's self came to visit Abraham in this moment. So this there's there is an element of of revelation here as as God interacts directly with Abraham, and I've preached on that in the past. There's the promise of the son Isaac, and I've preached on that in the past. There is the um, the hospitality that Abraham offers to his um, unknown guests. He, he, he prepares a big barbecue for him, and, there, and I've preached on, on the aspect of hospitality uh, in the past as I preached this text. Uh, one thing that I've never preached on, as I've um, preached this text uh, in past years, one thing I've never preached on is Sarah's laughter. And for some reason, as I was reading the text this week, Sarah's laughter is what jumped out to me uh, off of the page. And so I want to take a few moments and sort of look at the at the the, um, the second half of the story. And, and I want to talk just a little bit about Sarah's laughter. And I want to talk about what, um, what that might open up for us in our own lives uh, today. Sarah is waiting in the tent as these three strangers approach. And Abraham goes out to meet them. He, he shows them great uh, hospitality. He shows them great humility. He, he bows down to them. He says, come into, my, into my, uh, my common area. Come into my camp. Come into to my home. And I'm going to give you some refreshment. He offers to offer. He offers them water to wash their feet. He offers them uh, bread, and then he goes and has someone get the calf ready so that he can throw a big a big barbecue for him. Uh, there, there is there is this um, this sort of almost mysterious aspect. These these men they just show up out of nowhere, and they are um, they are treated with such hospitality and such reverence by Abraham. And, and something about this really struck me this week as I was reading. It made me think about fairy tales. It made me think about fairy tales. If you remember back to your childhood and the bedtime stories that you might have heard uh, your mom or dad uh, read to you, um, or maybe maybe you like Grimm's fairy tales and you read them every night yourself now. I mean, that's great if you do. Um, but if you think about fairy tales, there's always that sort of element of mystery in a fairy tale. I, I remember um, some of my favorite fairy tales when I was a kid um, involved sort of mysterious strangers or people showing up. Um, like, for example, Rumpelstiltskin. You remember that? Um, that fairy tale of Rumpelstiltskin, this mysterious uh, creature, shows up out of the blue and, and makes a lot of demands and some things like that. It offers offers some aid and and um, to uh, to a, a princess in trouble. And uh, there's there's a neat story that goes along with that. Or um, or another one of the favorite ones that I remember from my childhood is Sleeping Beauty. Do you remember that story? Uh, Sleeping Beauty is the story that actually came to my mind uh, for some reason as I was reading Genesis chapter 18 this week. Um, you remember the story of Sleeping Beauty. 
uh, a king and a queen have longed for a child for years and years and years, and they finally are expecting a child, and they're so excited, and they throw a big party, and they invite a whole bunch of people, and um, they invite some fairies that or, that uh, that come, and they they give gifts to the child, and you might remember that they leave one out. They leave they leave one fairy out. They sort of make a mistake in their guest list, and they they forget to invite someone who maybe they should have invited, and that one person that they forgot to invite does a curse, and then there's this whole thing with the pricking of the finger, and and then and she sleeps for a hundred years and the, the whole story goes on. But, but what, what I started thinking about this week as I was thinking about um, Sarah's laughter and, and for some reason began to think about fairy tales is I thought how very different this Bible story is from fairy tales that I have heard. And not just because this is actually true. <laughs> I was thinking about from a literary perspective, what is so different about this story than the fairy tales? And if you think about fairy tales uh, throughout throughout you know, your childhood as you heard them, there are very, very severe consequences for seemingly innocuous actions. You know, you forget someone on a guest list, like in real life, um, that might be cause for embarrassment, maybe you have to make an apology, but forgetting someone on a guest list in real life is not gonna result in dire consequences like a curse. Um, in fairy tales, little simple things lead to major severe consequences. And so if the story that, I, that, I, that we read this morning, the story of uh, Sarah and Abraham and Sarah laughing at the notion that she might conceive a child in her old age, uh, if this were a fairy tale, then what would happen next? Well, there would be some sort of grave consequence that occurs, like, like you know, the Lord would say, okay, you know what, you laughed at it, not gonna happen, we're taking the child away, promise canceled, covenant over. But that's not what happens. And there's a few things about Sarah's laughter that I really want to, uh, to highlight this morning. I want to look at a couple or three things um, here about Sarah's laughter that I think um, can teach us something about uh, the way God interacts with us today. So it says here in verse uh, 11, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So she knew her own body. She knew that she was past the uh, age where she would be able to bear children. And so she, when she hears this mysterious stranger say, I'm going to come back here in about a year's time and you're going to have a baby. When she hears that, she begins to chuckle to herself. She's like, this guy, doesn't he know how old Abraham is? Doesn't he know how old I am? What's going on? And so she laughs to herself. Um, that laughter is, um, is not gleeful, right? Like, like the, the laugh that Sarah has in this moment is a, a bitter laugh. Have you ever experienced a bitter laugh? I know I have. When something is just so absurd that the only thing you can do is just, <laughs> okay, whatever. Have you ever experienced that? I, I know I have in, 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 in many occasions throughout my life. And, and that laughter is, is a laughter of almost just... Um, complete despair, giving up, just letting it all go. Um, the laughter that comes when you hear something ludicrous or ridiculous, or even maybe something that pains your heart, that laughter has an edge to it, doesn't it? <laughs> God, this again, really, are you kidding me? There's a laughter of bitterness that comes from giving up, that comes from sort of uh, resigning oneself to things are never going to change. 
And that's where Sarah was. She was in this, in this moment here in, in the story where she, she knew what reality was. She knew her situation. She knew that she couldn't have a child. She knew Abraham was far past the age of being able to father a child. She, she knew what the reality of her biology was. So she, she laughs. She's like, oh, okay, the last thing I need right now is someone coming in here and giving me false hope. She, off, she, she, she has this laughter of bitterness. But here is what happens in the story, because we know how the story progresses. If you remember uh, your Bible stories from, from a kid, you know that even though Sarah laughs in this moment when she's promised a child in her old age, she does in fact have a child. Just a couple of chapters later, you'll see the birth of Isaac. And here's the funny thing about, no pun intended, well, maybe a little pun intended. Uh, the funny thing about Sarah's laughter is that this bitter laugh that Sarah utters in this moment of despair, God transforms that into a prophetic act of faith. Because in a couple of chapters, when Isaac is born, she names him, he laughs. Sometimes we become so despairing that anything could ever change in our lives. Sometimes we become so um, resigned to the realities around us. Sometimes we become so wrapped up in the day-to-day -day just survival of getting through whatever it is that's going to come next in our life. Sometimes we are so deeply involved in our own misery that we cannot possibly imagine that there is a future that God might have prepared for us. But in those moments when we laugh sardonically, in those moments when our bitterness bubbles over into hard-edged laughter, when we just can't cry anymore so we chuckle in a way that is absolutely devoid of mirth, in those moments, God is still working in our lives and in the world to bring about something that is going to be better. God is always working in our lives, even when we are so uh, deep in the muck of whatever's going on in our life, when we're, when we're so deep in that despair that, see, that seeks to overwhelm us, when we're so deep in those moments when nothing ever seems like it could be better ever again, in those moments, God is still working. And what we might find is just like Sarah, when we laugh with bitterness, God is already thinking about the punchline and perhaps our sardonic laughter, God is transforming into a prophetic act of faith. Sarah seems to understand a little bit better than Abraham what's going on in this story. She, as she laughs, continues to listen. And the Lord said to Abraham, verse 13, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I shall return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. Sarah, as she is overcome with the emotion of the moment, 
and can't believe what this stranger is saying about what's going to happen in her old past childbearing age body. In, in her chuckling and, and in her sort of uh, sarcastic, uh, well, am I really going to have a child? Are you kidding me? In that moment, she continues to listen. And then she hears what the Lord has to say. Why did you laugh? Is anything too difficult for the Lord to accomplish? And in that moment, perhaps being more insightful than Abraham, Sarah begins to realize there is something else going on here. There's something more than meets the eye. Sarah looks out. I picture her sort of peeking out through the tent doors, looking at what's going on. And she hears her name and she hears him say, why did she laugh? And she immediately becomes afraid because she recognizes that there's something else here, that, that maybe she's missed something, that maybe, maybe there is something about this stranger that she didn't recognize initially. But now that he sort of gently rebukes her for her laughter and her disbelief at what the Lord might be able to accomplish, she says, oh, no, I, I didn't laugh. I didn't laugh. It wasn't me. You know, she does that very natural human response, right? When you're sort of called out on something, your first instinct is usually to shrink back and to say, well, well I, no, that, that wasn't that didn't actually. No, stop. But she recognizes that there's something else at play here. And so she becomes afraid. And she becomes afraid in this way that, that sort of makes me think of those fairy tales. Remember the fairy tales I mentioned at the beginning? Those fairy tales where one simple act of thoughtlessness, one careless word, one act of forgetfulness can cause Massive, drastic, severe consequences. She's afraid. Oh, what have I done? Who have I offended? What possibly might be the, the punishment, the recompense for this uh, transgression that I've made? But here's the wonderful thing. Even though she's afraid, even though she denies that she laughed, even though she sort of engages in this, in this attempt to defend herself, God does not revoke the promise. God continues to interact with Abraham and Sarah and continues to provide for Abraham and Sarah and provide for the covenant that he made with Abraham. Just going back very quickly to get you some context about uh, this promise and this covenant that I mentioned a couple of times. Abraham is the one whom God chose to be the father of a great nation through which salvation would come to all the world. God comes to Abraham and says, I have chosen you and I'm going to make a covenant with you. You will become the father of many, many, many descendants. And in fact, your descendants will be more numerous than you can count. They're, they're going to be as numerous as the stars in the heavens or the grains of sand in the desert. God says, your descendants will be Countless, numerous. In fact, they're going to be a great nation. And okay, that's all well and good. But if someone is going to be the ancestor of a great nation, that pretty much requires them to have children, right? And so here God is revisiting the covenant that he has made with Abraham and is saying, Sarah is going to have a child. And, and so God has made covenant with Abraham and has made covenant with Abraham's family. And, and God continues, despite Abraham's failures, despite Sarah's mocking laughter at the notion that she might bear a child, despite all of these things that in other stories with 
um, you know, fairies and godmothers and all that sort of thing would lead to drastic consequences in the Bible, in God's story of God's interaction with God's people. These transgressions are not met with absolute um, uh, defeat. These, these, these transgressions are, are not punished with the severity of just revoking the promise and taking everything away. God continues to be with and for God's people, even in the midst of despairing circumstances. It might seem sometimes like we've maybe messed everything up beyond repair. It might seem sometimes like there is no fixing a situation that is in front of us. It might seem sometimes that COVID-19 is going to go on forever. It might seem sometimes like we're never going to be able to gather together again in one place. It might seem for our brothers and sisters who are demanding racial justice and equality that there will never be a day when black men do not have to fear interactions with the police. There may, it may seem like our world has become completely embroiled in selfishness, in, in, uh, in antagonism, uh, that violence is only going to continue to get worse and rule the day, that sickness and death and disease are going to be our destiny forever. It may seem as if everything in front of us is insurmountable, as if every problem that we face will never be solved. It may seem to us as if there is an intractable reality that says we will never accomplish anything that we have set out to do. There may seem to be in front of us a barrier, an obstacle, something we will never push past. It may seem as if we have lost every last ounce of hope. And when someone comes along and says, don't give up hope, things are going to get better. We might just say, <laughs> you are wrong. How funny. What a great joke. That may be where we are in our lives. And the word of hope for us this morning is that no matter where we are in our lives, no matter how intractable the problems in front of us might seem, no matter how difficult everything around us might be, no matter how deeply in despair we feel that our souls have fallen, God is still visiting our tent and God is visiting us with a word of hope. Things will be different because God is with us. And in those moments of despairing laughter, bitterness and dried up tears, God continues to say, I'm with you, I am for you. In about a year's time, everything is gonna change. You see, God doesn't punish Sarah for her skepticism, for her doubts, for her fears. God doesn't punish Sarah for her laughter. Rather, God gently reminds her, nothing is too difficult for the Lord. Everything is changing, even when we can't see it. God is still keeping God's promises, even when it seems as if nothing has ever come to pass. The Apostle Peter says, Dear friends, beloved in the Lord, God is not slow in keeping his promises as some understand slowness to be. He's waiting for the right time. 
We can't always see it. We can't always discern what's happening. But I tell you, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, God is at work. I spoke of fairy tales at the beginning of the sermon, and um, there's another story that I love from my childhood, sort of a fairy tale. It's a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe you've read it. It's by a great author named C.S. Lewis. And in that story, the great king, the great lion king, Aslan, is rumored to have returned to Narnia. Narnia, this once beautiful, verdant woodland world, has been uh, enslaved by the Ice Queen, uh, by this, this, this great uh, evil witch who has enslaved all of Narnia into an um, a enchantment where it is always winter and never Christmas. And as the story begins to unfold, we begin to hear some of the animal inhabitants of Narnia whispering a phrase to each other with great hope and anticipation. Aslan is on the move. Aslan is on the move. And indeed, as the story continues, we see that Aslan is indeed returning to Narnia. And as Aslan begins his conquest and his great return and in, 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 in triumph and victory into the land of Narnia, the ice begins little by little to melt. And the characters in the story, they don't notice it at first until suddenly they feel a drip of water on their head. They notice that there is a little patch of green where before there was nothing but white. And little by little, slowly, a little bit at a time until all of a sudden it's everywhere. Spring begins to emerge in the land of Narnia because Aslan is on the move. Friends, God is on the move this morning. We might only see it as a drip or a trickle of justice here. We might only see it as a little quiver of green, new life there. But I tell you, God is moving in the world. And someday soon, justice will indeed roll down like the rivers and mercy like an ever-flowing stream. Peace will reign. There will be a new world. There will be a new creation. There will be something greater for us to rejoice in. The misery and sorrow and trials of the present age are not the last word in our lives. And even when we laugh in our despair, God is working in and through and with us to make a transformation in the world. Brothers and sisters, God is moving. Pay attention to the signs of God's kingdom all around. And in those moments when you're tempted to despair, hear the word of God. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Be encouraged, my brothers and sisters. God is with us. God is for us. And best of all, God invites us into this new world, this new creation, this new kingdom that is coming. And we are invited to be part of that here and now, and to work with God in expanding that kingdom into the world around us. Don't lose heart. Don't give up hope. God is with us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.